the whole business of the team training in Jamaica and this rickety cart, mm -hmm. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. Nobody <laughs> does that. And I mean, it doesn't resemble bobsledding in any way, shape, or form. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. We over-celebrate the beginning and nobody is talking about the end. Wait, an actor's in charge of my money? What? It was a $27,000 exercise. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have a member of the first Jamaican bobsled team, Devin Harris, as he shares the facts and fiction behind the movie Cool Runnings, if Usain Bolt will join the 2018 bobsled team, and how we can each have the mindset to set Olympic-sized goals. So something a lot of people don't know is, uh, you know, you always have to do something new. You know, life keeps on going. You do this amazing thing uh, with the Jamaican bobsled team. Uh, but what are you doing now in terms of that? Well, um, you're absolutely right. You know, my, my motto is keep on pushing. And, mm -hmm. and so you always have to find a way to, to grow and to challenge yourself because life is, is constantly evolving. Right? We're always creating new normals, as it were. And so, yeah, I have um, gone from just being a competitor on the team to the guy who is now responsible for um, developing the next generation of Jamaican bobsledders. And we do have this, um, this, this vision, this idea that we can, in fact, uh, win an Olympic bobsled medal for Jamaica. So we're, we're, uh, we're still pushing forward to try and achieve that. Now, how do you put that vision forward to the next generation? I, I think you tell a story first of um, you know where we came from, and uh, I mean, I guess in a way I'm dating myself. <laughs> Some of them weren't around when I was competing. Wow, that's yeah, that's going back a ways. But um, but but also get them in touch with the real reason why they wanted to join the team in the first place, and to um, to bring that to the broader um, uh, aspect of how Jamaica is seen in the Olympics, how, how Jamaicans want to be remembered in the Olympics and the, um, the special opportunity that they have um, as winter Olympians from Jamaica to do something that nobody else, not even myself and the other guys on the ATA team have done yet, uh, which is to win an Olympic bobsled medal. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in an effort to do this, I'm sure I'm not the first person to suggest this to you, but have you ever thought of uh, asking any of the current Summer Olympians Possibly a Mr. Usain Bolt, if he if he would uh, think about crossing over to be a Winter Olympian. You know, we we um we, we asked him. We were doing a a, a shoot uh, two or three years ago actually, and um, and we asked him, and he goes, "No, it's too cold." You know, <laughs> it's too cold. And, and this was before he um he had definitely said he was retiring in in 2017. I think at the time he was going to retire in 2016. And I go, hey, uh, here's a plan. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to detail your career for you. So you're going to go to Rio, you're going to retire, you're going to take a year off, mm -hmm. and at the end of 2017, you're going to come back for bobsledding. <laughs> and he just laughed me to scorn. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to work very well. But, you know, we do have um, this idea, though, of trying to attract some of our summer athletes. Now, Rio just ended, uh, and so, so seriously speaking, the, the World Championships are next year. Mm -hmm. So I think after the World Championships, we may be able to, to um, uh, win some of them over as a shorter stretch to 2018 Pyeongchang. 
Now, you're, you know, one of the things that obviously very famous is the movie Cool Runnings. Do you ever show that to the next generation? No, I think they have, uh, you know, they've all seen it. And, and, uh, <laughs> all I, seen I, it. I think so. You're not going to sit I, them around a TV and say, hey, boys, no. this is... And I, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, parents know this when you're talking to your kids about how it used to be in the good old days and the things they used to have to, to do to succeed and so on. And the kids kind of roll their eyes. They do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I'm like, oh, and so I go, I know you guys don't want to hear about 88, but, you know, we were hungry, we were focused, you know, and they just kind of rolled their eyes like, you know, we're better athletes than you guys. Anyway, so. <laughs> now, now, speaking of the movie, I've always wondered this. What's kind of the most outlandish thing that's in the movie that didn't happen in real life? Ah, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, th I can think of a couple. The, the whole business of the team uh, training in Jamaica on this rickety cart going down a hill. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. Nobody <laughs> does that. And I mean, it doesn't resemble bobsledding in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some things that they did that we wish we had thought about, like some mm -hmm. of the fundraising strategies and like, mm -hmm. you know, out in the town selling kisses, you know, that <laughs> could have been a fun fundraising uh, no, event. No, the the cooking in the in the Olympic Village, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, certainly the fight mm -hmm. and the, 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 the that bar scene did, mm -hmm. did didn't happen, wouldn't have happened. Now, one of the things too that that is so interesting that you can take from this, obviously, what you did as an Olympian is a very serious endeavor, and and it's something um, that has inspired a lot of people. You know, one of the things that you talk about in your presentation is is that mindset. How does someone get that type of mindset that you have? To, to kind of overcome what you do and, and set goals like you do? You know, the, I, I just think that, uh, first of all, all of us have that, that ability, that potential inside of us to really rise above whatever those circumstances are. And I think when you, first of all, uh, set a goal, and I, I often see a goal as, you know, th these are my circumstances, I don't like them, and I like something else. Uh, you know, I often draw analogies. It's kind of across the street and I need to go across there because that's better. Mm -hmm. And so now you have, you have to internalize that desire. And once you internalize that desire for that goal, that those circumstances that are better, it, it, it begins to, to grow, to get stronger as you, as you focus on it more and more. Um, it begins to build your own confidence in your abilities to make it happen and that creates that that, yes, that success mindset, that, that, that belief that, you know what, if I just try, not suggesting that it's going to be easy, but if I try, it will happen. Who did you learn that success mindset from? Uh, you know, I have, whenever I'm asked a question like this or a similar one, I, I blame my grandmother. You know? so, <laughs> so, so I spent my early years with her, and, and she was an amazing storyteller, and she would tell me these stories of... Um, especially the soldiers, which is one of the, the things that inspired me to join the army, they could do these amazing feats, you know, and, and not get injured. And, um, and so I wanted to become a soldier. But I think more than that, it fired up my little five-year-old imagination and um, made me want to do things that everybody else think is difficult or impossible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I've learned over the years is that as you, as you attempt these things, um, you do, as I said, uh, you know, start believing that you can actually do them, but not, not as outlandish as it, or impossible as they may seem. And it just, um, 
kind of become part of your DNA. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what role, so Sandhurst, for those watching, is, is like the British equivalent of, of West Point. Point indeed. Uh, what, what did you learn there? What effect did that have on you? Ah, oh, Sandhurst. Um, a lot, actually. Um, the, 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 I learned leadership, uh, so I wanted to be an army officer, and I remember in high school, very concerned because I didn't think I was a good leader, and, um, and I always saw some of my friends as these natural-born leaders because I didn't see myself as that um, assertive uh, kind of guy. And then at Sanders, I said, hey, you know, leadership is actually something that you can learn. You know, leaders aren't born, they're made. And, and so that gave me the confidence and, um, and the knowledge to re recognize that I, if I actually work on this like any other skill, I could actually do some leading of my own. And, and in fact, that I was already a leader, even though I had not seen myself that way. Um, and I talk about Bob setting all the time and, and how difficult that first time was, 1988, and, and the, the fact that the thing that got me through wasn't my, my athletic prowess. It was my training at Sandhurst because we went through long periods of intense physical activity with very little rest. Mm. And so you, you learn to develop that mental toughness to push your body and, um, and that's what we had to do uh, back in 88. So that was a um, really, really important uh, takeaway from Sandhurst. Had you not uh, had you not gotten involved in, in athletics as much as you did, would you have you would you have continued on in a military career, or what would you be doing? Yes, I think if you had asked me what I would, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, if you had asked me what I'd be doing today, I tell you I'd still be in the military. That's how I saw my life going. I mean, uh, yes, I did become an Olympian, and and it is true that growing up, the two driving goals, two things that pulled me was to become an army officer and to become an Olympian. But I kind of saw um, the Olympic thing as, mm -hmm. you know, a one-off, I'll do that, but yeah, the army career was a, yeah. was a driving force. Where did your grand? now I'm curious to know, where did your grandma, t telling you these stories at five about the military, where did she get these stories from? I, that's a really good question. Unfortunately, she died when I was really young, so um, you know she never got to see any of the successes at all. You know, my um, my grandmother, um, I, I say this all the time. Her greatest wish was uh, to see me learn how to read. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, I call her mama. Mama, I've actually written a couple of books. So I've, I've, I think I've learned to read uh, well. But yeah, she just. Um, you know, so uh, in Jamaica, the military is really well respected, and um, and and she was a country bumpkin, and so that mm -hmm. um, caused her to hold the army in even higher esteem. You know, so it would have been really cool if she could have seen her grandson in in army garb. You've done so many things. What do you think she or other people in your family would be most proud of? That's a really good question. I think maybe she would just be very proud that her grandson can read. <laughs> um, I th ah, it's a really good, you know, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the, the fact that I'm an Olympian, maybe it's the army. Uh, you know, my brother um, uh, said something to me a couple of years ago that made me go, wow. Uh, you know, so I grew up in a really rough neighborhood in Kingston, and you know, a lot of the younger guys, they, got caught up in gangs and you know, guns and so on and so forth. And, and so he t tells me that he's, he was having this conversation with my mom and he said to her, you know, Devon is the only one of us who have fired a gun. 
Mm. Uh, in other words, you know, I was in the army and yes, I fired weapons. Um, they didn't. They didn't join gangs. But what it said to me was that the example that I set for them mm -hmm. uh, kind of steered their lives away from that. So, um, you know, maybe they wouldn't articulate it that way, but I think that is one of the things that they would probably be proud of. It's not so much the things that the rest of the world recognizes me for, but, <laughs> you know, the things that somebody wouldn't necessarily see yeah. in the face of it. When you're talking about teamwork, because obviously you can't have a team without a leader, but what are the things when you're part of a team what makes a team successful to you? I think first, first of all, is 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 a vision that thing that the team wants to accomplish. You know that that's the galvanizing thing. That you know there is um, nothing that's a more powerful agent for attracting uh, and keeping talented people than a clear vision, mm -hmm. and that's true, especially when the team is accomplishing its goals. Um, and then you know, so when you get people buying into that vision and uh, but also, while they're pursuing that vision, have a, having an, an opportunity to accomplish their own personal goals. As I say all the time, you know, we all listen to the same radio station, WIIFM, right? So, yeah. what's in it for me? So, <laughs> so, so if 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 and people will go to hell and back for you and the team to, uh, for the team to accomplish the goals. If in that process, uh, it's not a guarantee, but they have a reasonable a sense that they have a reasonable shot of accomplishing their own goals as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that really makes um, a team work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having the right people on the team as well is, is, is key, and that, that could be a, a, a more tricky, nuanced uh, thing because you can't, you know, you, you, we often, whether it's uh, Bob setting or uh, a sales team or whatever, you kind of hire people based on their resume. So in Bob setting, it would be what the guy or girl does on the team trials, you know, the times that they're run, that's a resume. Um, but then you, you also have to pay attention to that gut, right? You know, what, what does your gut tell you about that person? Mm -hmm. and, um, and sometimes you go against your instinct and, and, um, and you go, wow, yeah, because the resume is so brilliant, right? But it doesn't work out very well because they're not, uh, they're not team players. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you listen this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.